This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Our Fair City is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Welcome, everybody, back for more listener questions. I think we finished all the Chamberlain questions, so we can move on to other things this time around. And I forgot which one I decided I was going to read first. Uh, Okay, let's start with this. Snail Army would like to know, in all caps, tell me everything there is to know about algae farming, please! Exclamation point. How did they get the the resources to start it? How many different strains do they grow? What are their names? Do they grow anything besides algae? Again, how did they start a large-scale algae farm from an office building of an insurance company? Because I need to try that. If we don't come up with anything funny... I'm going to mail this question to Steph Spence, because Steph Spence is very smart and knows everything about science and uh, is usually one of the best go-tos on something like this, and I miss her so much. We all do. She's still alive. She just moved out of Chicago, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, with full deference to Steph, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, that, that Heartlife did get into algae farming especially given the situation that we are in in the real world um, because algae farming is becoming a more and more sustainable food source in reality. Uh, and it's because LED light bulbs require, or LED light devices require so little electricity to run and can produce so much food when all you need is like water with some goop in it. Uh, that algae makes total sense. If you were gonna grow anything in an office building, it's algae and ficus, and the ficus are plastic. I don't, I don't want to ruin that for you, and not nutritious. I gotta imagine that um, all the hallucinogens and alcohols in Heart Life are based on black mold. Oh, like, they've gotta be. They also oh. ran for algae farming. I, I'm trying to remember this. In Soylent Green, isn't what they were telling people Soylent Green was, wasn't that algae? And it turns out that the algae had all died and that they were actually feeding people people. Like, that's, that's why it's the reveal. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Soylent Green is people? Yes, yeah, Soylent Green is people. Also, my mind. Also, regular Soylent is people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Check the Amazon reviews. It's, yeah. uh, Does regular right. Soylent sound different from Soylent Green? <laughs> From a sound design perspective, I think no. Yeah, it's, it's greener. Oh, it's greener, right. It sounds green. Now, now, can you make someone throwing it up? Would that be the sounds of Soylent's? <laughs> I love you, Ellie. 
If there's anything I know about giant office buildings, at least it was easy for them to control the temperature needed to cultivate all their algae. Oh. And there's probably vast underground you know, archives somewhere where they could have at least cleared off the space once everything was transferred to electronic media that they could use for the vats. Oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, I like that. I like to think there's a fair amount of artistry involved in the presentation of uh, algae desserts and uh, confections, too. Like, I just saw that Atlas Obscura uh, gastronomics uh, link about um, how we've lost touch with our meat-based jello mold uh, confectionery that was, like, really popular. Yeah. Yeah, aspic! Like, that was a whole thing! Up until the eighties, yeah, and it's still apparently really popular in um, in Nevada. Is it Nevada? Like wherever Mormons are. I think that's what they said. Yeah, Yeah. somewhere somewhere Nevada e. Yeah, so it's New Mexico. Let's blame let's blame Herbert West. That sounds good. (laughs) Is that the secret origin of the meat wall? (gasps) Oh, is the meat wall aspic? It's an escaped aspic. (laughs) I will say on the on the uh, topic of algae. If in the in one of the comics, there there is a whole comic about algae and algae farming and algae farmers. So if you're interested in that, check out See You in the Tunnels, The Art of Our Fair City, now available for pre-order. It's a really good book, guys. Um, okay, I have some more questions. Uh, this listener is asking, did you have the whole story arc outlined from the very start, or did you come up with it along the way? Mostly, I'm thinking about the narrator and the ending of season seven because of the way you played it out. Pure awesomeness, says the listener. That was not me. Um, but I will say, as a longtime listener of the show before I joined the team, I had definitely a similar reaction of getting to the end of the season seven and having my mind kind of blown and being like, how did they possibly plan this? So... Did you plan it all out beforehand? Um, so Clayton is not here, um, so I'm going to a little bit speak for him. Um, I know that to some degree Clayton had big pieces of it planned out. What specifically happened, we did not have planned. We, I would say, had kind of the general arc of the story set and then as each season came along, kind of built the scaffolding and specifics. Um, so kind of that specific subversion of the frame was not necessarily planned. And especially kind of the time jump and how that worked was not in place from season one or season two. But a lot of the, the kind of arc of the show and how we wanted to bring the story to an end was, if that makes sense. I, I remember um, during one of the very first meetings that we all sat down, and this is before we, we recorded anything uh, that ultimately became the, the final product, um, but it was you, it was me, Clayton, and I think Mike Tomzak was in the meeting. But uh, Clayton, and maybe I, maybe I misinterpreted it uh, from the initial conversations because of what I always expected um, Foster's or the narrator's destiny to be through seasons one through five or whatever before we actually did come to the conclusion that he was a, the voice of propaganda for for Heart Life was that he was actually 
I thought he was going to end up being the voice of um, the resistance, sort of like a John Connor out there. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was putting it together, fighting, rebelling against Heart Life. And I thought that was that that was based on one conversation we had very, very early on in the process. So the seed of heart of of the narrator being the 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 you know an active participant ultimately in the story was I think always there based on that conversation I thought it was going to be the opposite of what he ended up being but I think this way it turns out to be far more uh, appealing for the show. Yeah, I, I remember that as well. There was an there was an early concept of him being sort of like a pirate radio thing, and it was uh, I I think we even talked about there being some sort of pirate network where you had to like plug your your radio into the pipes or something. I don't remember exactly how it was supposed to work. Jim looks so, like he So does. I remember uh, in one of the early drafts, or one of the early plot lines was uh, the Lazarian cult. Oh, and God, they, yeah. had their, they had their own spokesperson who was uh, St. Sarah the Sightless. Um, and she had a she had a pirate broadcast that like you could plug in and then like the cult would talk to you and try to convince you to give you give them your organs. Um, You're totally right. I was conflating those. You're absolutely right. Oh man, thank you. <laughs> I, I I mean, I will say, of everyone, I think I have the most like unadulterated love for the Lazarian cult plotline <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. Like, I had characters I wanted to introduce. I had, there's a guy with no skin that was going to oh be God. awesome. Oh, <laughs> What does that sound like, Ryan? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> that's, that's what a man with no skin sounds yeah, like? That's it, terrifying. He walks around going, I'm skinless, I'm skinless, I'm skinless, I'm skinless. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, right, if you got skinned, like, would you talk about anything else? <laughs> I would bring it up every chance I got. <laughs> you don't need coffee table. Books. In case you haven't noticed. But the character wasn't very well fleshed out, I would say. <laughs> uh, I, I, w- I will say, uh, to, to go back to the, the person's original question, um, I think it was, I think really around season three is when we said, hey, maybe we should make this more cohesive. And I remember Jeffrey, you uh, and Clayton kind of sat us down and were like, what if we did this long arc thing? And that's, that's I think the first pitch of the thaw happened around then. Yeah. yeah it really started crystallizing at that point. Yeah, season one was pretty ad hoc. It was very ad hoc. <laughs> I think ad hoc is very kind. <laughs> it's just I just remember it was, I was listening to to older episodes and I remember I heard Ansel talking about how very positively that you felt about the mole people and character and I'm like wait a second hold on and it was just you know that was retconned. <laughs> yeah, um, I think around season three we kind of really locked in on the idea of the thaw and the idea that this was all bending towards a world where um, where it was becoming habitable again and how heart life would respond to that. Um, and so kind of a lot of the things, um, I also remember very early on Clayton talking about the end of the show and having this metaphor of a seed pod or um, dandelion kind of blowing seeds away from the Heartlife Tower and humanity kind of spreading back out 
away from the tower again. Now, what does that sound like? <laughs> it so, sounds like the end of season eight. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got uh, another question kind of on a similar theme. Um, what are some things about the world and the characters that surprised you as you were writing? I mean, uh, other, other than, say, like Caligari becoming my favorite character of all time, um, I, I will say, um, so in season eight, spoiler alert, uh, in, the, in the time after time, I went into that basically completely ready to kill Sandy and Clay. I did not have an out for how they were going to get out of that situation until I wrote the line where Lindsay the time traveler takes the two kids off and be like, hey, who wants to who wants to learn how to be time travelers? And like I wrote that and started going on and then just kind of stopped and went, you know what could happen? <laughs> and it doesn't actually make sense, but in kind of that improv using all the parts of the buffalo and making callbacks to things that was said earlier, in that kind of universe world building way, it makes like sort of literary or script sense. I was like, that gives me an out. Yay, my parents won't hate me. Because <laughs> my, particularly my dad had said, very had been very specific about things that would happen if I killed either of the mole people. <laughs> the McDonald's were kind of the shadow editors, always <laughs> looming over the writer's room. Um, you know, uh, something that surprised me was a general phenomenon of characters growing or having new dimensions um, by the end of their sections of the story than, than they started out with. The series started out fairly campy. In fact, I think camp was in the like tagline, wasn't it? A campy. And I, when I came on as a writer, I was really hell-bent on trying to turn it into Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and, you know, I'm glad that I didn't have the power to do that because our fair city would have lost a lot of his soul if it would have just been like a gritty sci-fi blood and guts um but you know stuff like uh 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 stuff like davenport's turn where by the end of his well not the very end of him but um we see him trying to protect other managers and generally being a fairly good person um and prior to that when we first meet him, he's a real jerk. You know, he punches Nathan in the face and says, let's have some face time. Earned it. <laughs> um, so a lot of the characters, they grew. You know, we introduced them and then they, as cliche, took on a life of their own and they, they changed. And I mean, maybe that happens in every series, but this is the only series I've ever written. So <laughs> it surprised me. At the risk of taking away part of where you may have been going with that, I, I would say that a great example of that is Archibald Funny Pants, who was named for the sake of a single like one-off gag, if I remember correctly, and then grew into one of the more popular and uh, more vital characters in the last couple of seasons. I've always thought of him as our fair city's disco stew. I mean, I think that we... we... Off mic, we were talking about this, but like the the switch in focus from Nathan to Andrew, where Nathan started off being who we thought the show was about, and then Nathan 
was awful. And <laughs> just the worst. Yeah, the worst. Literally the worst. Uh, and and then Andrew kind of grew into being sort of the heart of the show. Yeah, I think the the science family as a unit. I mean, uh, even down to getting that name um, from the fans, like that unit was certainly not something I ever saw coming. Um, and watching it, I, I mean, I was I was surprised when um, Herbert and Elizabeth got together. And then when this kind of whole science family, family unit just like coalesced, I, I was thrilled and loved it. Um, and for me, who was in the writers' meetings but not doing any of the hard work of writing, was like, wow, this happened so naturally and organically. And when actually it happened through, you know, a lot of hard work and creative uh, work from the writers. But um, for me, watching it was just like, wow, where this? Huh? Oh, it's here. Cool. It, it's, it's also interesting, and Jeffrey, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, because that it went in that direction because I remember like one of the things specifically when Clayton like pitched this was sort of science as a positive force was at the heart of why our fair city he wanted to make our fair city and the idea that like sort of that science family kind of coalesced into that yeah I feel like um it's interesting because through them we definitely get science as a disruptive force, as disruptive to the status quo, which I think is very useful and is is a really important thing to take away now that like studying science can be um, and and championing science and um, bringing science um, to people can be a profoundly disruptive and um, positive force in the world um, and kind of the root of um, uh, overthrowing a corrupt system. Speaking as someone who has uh, limited uh, experience in writing for the show, but kind of came in uh, with the Fringe shows being one-offs, which meant that they weren't necessarily going to be dealing with the characters that everyone already knew and loved, but still have the same... Uh, play uh, play set as everyone else did and looking up what it is we knew we liked about the show and were excited about the show and trying to add to that mythos however we could. Like one of the things I knew that we really liked was um, the joyous and charming use of acronyms throughout the different parts of society and earning that as part of the world building. And one of the things that came out of uh, our show, Human Resources, that we were really excited about was the Pitch In by Snitch In program. Yeah. Which was trying to figure out how to play by uh, the rules that the writing team had set up so beautifully already. Next question. Best mole or other character names you never got a chance to use? Oh. Uh, just so you know, Jim's face completely lit up. You, you, <laughs> you listening can't see this, but it was great. Just so you know. <clears throat> All right, clear the stage for Jim. Well, I, I'll say that there's not really any names that I didn't get to use. I will say. Yeah, as someone who has cast and directed your episodes, 
I know, Jim. <laughs> well, it, it's every time we need more mole names, there is a page on Wikipedia that is list of, lists of rocks by type. And I just open that page, and there's a long list, and I look for the one that might be that might make a good name. I think my favorite is Schist, which was which I decided is which I decided because of how it sounded. I'm like, this is a German mole. This is a German mole, and I think that's uh, that's Lauren Shippen. Yeah, thank you, Lauren Shippen, for the deeply difficult task of playing a German mole person. I don't, you know, like those are two accents that turns out are very difficult to put together. But she did great work with it. Mm-hmm. Are there any mole people whose names didn't get said? Like that you named them, but we never heard the name. Because I got to feel like you named a bunch of them that weren't. Because you never named them like mole person one or mole person two. They always had names. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there may be some that like Chert or uh, he's in, or Shale. Basalt. Basalt. Can I make a little side note about Shale? When Shale was named, and I saw that name in the script, I started doing a Christian Bale Batman impression in the writer's room, and I was like, can we please have Shale talk like this, and it's Christian Shale? (laughs) And the the answer to that question was no. If we're thinking about what may have been, I I wanted the, the mole hymn to be Igneous Dei. Uh, well, on the topic of moles, um, did Morrow ever seek out any of the moles once he thawed out? Why or why not? Uh, Soap Lady comments that she thinks uh, he would have loved to see Lomi's demolocracy. Um, what do you think? In my mind, no. Uh, not necessarily because he didn't want to, but um, he was, when he was thawing, He's pretty limited with what he could do. That was a rough time, yeah. He was sort of decomposing, systems breaking down. Um, so, like, social calls were <laughs> not, high on the not list. a high priority yeah. for Dr. Morrow at that point in his life. We'd like to know some more about Root Ball. So, sometimes uh, you're asked to create a newspaper for Mole Day, and you decide to make a joke. Uh, a a play on words, if you will, and then people ask you to explain it in great detail. Then you've invented Quidditch. Um, what I imagined root ball is is that it's it's basically football. Only um, there are these large petrified root vegetables um, that exist like just underground, and so it's football. But like there are these giant stone turnips and things in the way and you're running full force and both trying to avoid the people trying to tackle you and also avoid the root vegetables so that you don't like collide into them and that maybe like there are other positions where it's like they're trying to move the the stone potatoes and the stone uh, carrots out of the way so that like you can slide by in an unexpected way so maybe that's why you have a turnip tackler like that's their job is to like kind of slide into the turnip and try and move them so that the next mole person can, like, run by. So it's like American root ball, not British root ball. Right. Okay. Wouldn't that be more like Bugby? You (laughs) re... Jim's not going to entertain that one. 
football, soccer, and rugby all derive from the same sport. And that original sport, you could use your hands. So really, rugby is the closest thing to actual football there is. And soccer is the version that the English said, hey, let's codify this because there are too many riots. Next, we're going to do Jim's history podcast. It's going to be a whole other thing. That's more sports than I've ever I encountered know. at an Our Fair City I know. meeting. That's really something. Has there been anything about the fandom that surprised you? I.e. characters, plot lines, etc. All of it. <laughs> it, it exists. exists. Yeah. 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 Oh, the fan art's just wonderful. It's so exciting. I remember when we got our first fan picture, we all freaked out. So it's weird to think that there's more than just the one fan picture. It's also really weird that people cosplay our characters. Like, good weird, but it's still so weird. The best weird. Yeah. It's weird because people care, and I didn't think anybody would. I mean, yeah, I, the whole thing, just the culture that grew out of something we never thought would grow a culture. I mean, there's that's where you get the algae. That's... Oh, hey! <laughs> Callback. There it is. That's um, where it all came from. I've been pretty, uh, like, uh, t- t- negligent about following, like, fans' internet presence because I'm, I'm like a... I'm an incredibly old person, and I just don't understand social media as well as I should. Um, so, like, you know, sometimes Jeffrey will, like, forward fan art or, like, awesome things that they say. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I can't believe this is out there. But um, my impression, and I don't know if I'm correct or not, my impression is that there's a lot of folks out there who are fans of our fair city who are um, sort of more progressive in their views. Maybe they have, like, a non-traditional lifestyle. And... I I did not, when I started writing for the show, I didn't like see the show necessarily appealing to people and in that way and being a, um, a thing to like latch onto. Like for example, like, hey, I want to ship uh, 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 Switchblades, Cobalt, and Dora. I really hope they get shipped. Like I, there are, there are fans that are like passionate about uh, those characters in that way. And I didn't see that when I started, and I'm so glad that this series has become a thing, like a space where people can feel like they're represented, maybe. Um, and I absolutely didn't expect that, because when I think, again, I'm uh, incredibly old, when I think about sci-fi, I imagine a bunch of like cis white guys in their basement like watching Aliens movies, and it's not just for those guys, it's for all people and our fair city appeals to more than just those dudes so that was very cool i think one of the one of the points that um i realized that it was a different level of uh, there was a different level of appreciation out there than i ever expected our fair city to to get to is um when i go to tara and i go to dragon con every single year since 2004 so we've been going for almost 15 years now coming up on and we Two years ago, I think it was, Clayton was speaking at a panel at DragonCon about his role in Our Fair City. And I went to the panel, and I was just I was watching it. It was sort of like an out-of-body experience, because here I am at my favorite convention where I go to meet all my favorite artists and favorite actors and everybody who influences my, uh, my, my, my creative side. And 
Clayton's up there? <laughs> Talking about this show that I work with him on? Yeah, and it was, uh, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this, this is important to people. And that's, uh, that was, it's a good feeling. Which year was it you ran into uh, Herbert West? <laughs> that was last year, actually. Oh, nice. Yes, that, and that was the that was awesome. So, <laughs> for for a full uh, uh, disclosure, I was informed by somebody who was attending Dragon Con that they were going to go as Herbert West. So it wasn't like a complete mystery and surprise when it happened. But some some fan of the show who lives in Atlanta who goes to Dragon Con and is a, uh, reached out on social media to somebody who said, "I'm going to go as Herbert." West to, to Dragon Con. And so I knew that Herbert was going to be there or somebody was going to be dressed as Herbert. And then we literally did just sort of bump into each other. And I was facing one direction. Tara was facing the other, the opposite direction. And it was behind me when she said, you're Herbert West. And I was like, yeah, I had. I, <laughs> why, why, why is this suddenly? Tara <laughs> just put it together. Wait, yes, Tara, you were that there. That guy in the recording room is also my husband? <laughs> so I turned around and sure enough there he was and he was just the coolest most affable guy I felt like I'd known him for forever and he he was he was full-on Herbert West uh, cosplay That's and uh, it was that was probably of all the years I've been going to Dragon Con that was my favorite moment uh, ever got the, the closest I ever got to that I, I work at a Renaissance fair uh, in the area here and uh, I was walking down the street in full pirate outfit, and somebody walked past wearing one of our early, early Our Fair City t-shirts, the early, like, the beige ones with the, with the gauge logo. And all I could do was stop dead and stare as this human being walked past. <laughs> and ever since then, it's been like four years, I've, I've wished I had thought of something clever to say to this person, but all I could do was, <gasps> In the wild, one of them. I think the the sort of that whatever kind of what everyone else has said, where it's like this is a thing that people enjoy, um, because to go back to uh, a question that was probably in the last episode um, about like alternate OFC timelines, <clears throat> there is probably an OFC timeline where OFC does not exist because. There were times in the production of it in like the first season where it was like, this was just a thing that we were maybe gonna do, like kind of like it, like, hey, do you want to do a sketch show or do you want to do an improv group? And like most of the things that I've been involved with like that have just imploded and not happened. And for a while, it just seemed like this was gonna be another one of those where like, oh, I haven't heard from Clayton in like six months. I guess we're not doing this anymore. And then like. I'd get the call from Clayton and Jeffrey. And yet here you are all these years later. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I think um, one, of the, one of the coolest things for me, and, and you know, echoing everything people have said, but also um, hearing from other creators who have um, enjoyed our show and, um, you know, fiction podcasting and audio drama have, you know, have undergone such a big boom in the last two or three years and hearing from people saying that, you know, they listened to Our Fair City um, and thought, well, if, you know, these guys can do it, we can, uh, um, ha just really, you know, shows that I love, that I sit and listen to 
and I'm huge fans of. And knowing that, you know, this this community is so intertwined and um, and kind of borrows and shares and, and grows together has been really amazing. So new question. If you had to get a line from the show tattooed on your body, which one and where? The one on the shirt I'm wearing right now. Yep. yep. It says, I'll read it. If you aren't constantly in danger of obliterating everything you know, you aren't really doing science. <laughs> Shirt available in our store. <laughs> Tattoo available you know, wherever. Wherever tattoos are made, I guess. Uh, where would you put it? Oh, that, that's a different question. Um, Is it radio appropriate? Jeez. Pro- you know, honestly, I, I've actually thought about this um, uh, so in, in truthfulness, I think I would just shorten it all down to, to uh, for science with an exclamation point in all caps. Yeah, I was going to say that so, seems like a pretty solid choice. Yeah, and I'd probably, uh, nowhere, nowhere exotic, shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be so, able to show that one off. Yeah, exactly. I've already quote checked this one once during this recording session, but I think for me, one of the best ones I've ever heard in any audio drama is The Best Weird. Yeah. That one, also in the context in which it appears yeah, in the show. you want to remind us of the context? Oh, uh, it, it's one of those could be the final stand moments. An old man says, well, fellows, it's been weird. And one of them says, good weird or bad weird? And he softens and says, the best weird. All right. Yeah, Aww. that's been really a kind of rallying cry uh, for a lot of us as as our fair city comes to a close. Because it really has been the best weird. Yeah. Because it's been the best and it's been very weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> but real quick. Also, it would be uh, under my collarbone on my left side, so as close to over my heart as oh, I can get. That's good. Aww. Oh, um, you know, I have been working on and off at mostly at <laughs> saving up the money uh, for an Our Fair City tattoo, um, but ha- you know, a a very stylized tower, um, maybe in a tarot card kind of setting. Um, with the tower falling, saying, listen and remember. I was just about to I say think, listen and remember. Yeah. L- listen and remember was mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The tower image is just so beautiful, too. The way that y'all have embraced that and also the way it's been uh, reproduced by so many of the artists that collaborate with the show. It, there's some really breathtaking images of it out there. So I would not actually get this tattoo uh, or place it here but because my favorite line is it is my opinion as a doctor that it is super gross <laughs> that tattoo wrapping around my back with an arrow pointing down at my butt yeah um you know i also got a shout out um i don't i couldn't i couldn't pull this off but um, there were a pair of cosplayers who came to one of our launch parties dressed as lightning riggers. Yes. And one of them had free fall oh. written on their knuckles. Oh. And like, I, don't, I couldn't pull it off, but wow, that was cool. <laughs> I want to see somebody cosplay, and because this is not a good idea in real life, but cosplaying as the, um, the science fair gang from the early seasons, 
with all the uh, periodic tattoos that we talked oh, about. Yeah. Uh, right. we, we first originally thought of them as like these super punky guys and and like there was one dude who had a, a periodic table full neck tattoo. That's so and that has stuck yeah. with me all this time. Is is there I don't know where you would find it because I think Robin did like full one of the artists no, did. Oh that was Eric Irvine. Um oh, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll try to I'll try to dig his concept art for those up. Yeah, because they were beautiful. There was a full sleeve of the solar system and yes, yeah, right. periodic tables and some like atomic structures in sleeve tattoos that were really cool. We'll be back soon with more listener questions. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.